Section 9 of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section 9. Book 3. Part 1. Come now, Erato, stand by my side, and say next how Jason brought back the fleece to Iolcus, aided by the love of Medea. For thou sharest the power of Cypris, and by thy love cares dost charm unwedded maidens, wherefore to thee too is attached a name that tells of love. Thus the heroes, unobserved, were waiting in ambush amid the thick reed-beds. But Hera and Athena took note of them, and, apart from Zeus and the other immortals, entered a chamber and took counsel together. And Hera first made trial of Athena. Do thou now first, daughter of Zeus, give advice, what must be done? Wilt thou devise some scheme whereby they may seize the golden fleece of Aetis and bear it to Hellas? Or can they deceive the king with soft words and so work persuasion? Of a truth he is terribly overweening. Still it is right to shrink from no endeavour. Thus she spake, and at once Athena addressed her. I, too, was pondering such thoughts in my heart, Hera, when thou didst ask me outright. But not yet do I think that I have conceived a scheme to aid the courage of the heroes, though I have balanced many plans. She ended, and the goddesses fixed their eyes on the ground at their feet, brooding apart, and straightway Hera was the first to speak her thought. Come, let us go to Cypris, let both of us accost her and urge her to bid her son, if only he will obey, speed his shaft at the daughter of Aetis the Enchantress, and charm her with love for Jason. And I deem that by her device he will bring back the fleece to Hellas. Thus she spake, and the prudent plan pleased Athena, and she addressed her in reply with gentle words. Hera, my father, begat me to be a stranger to the darts of love, nor do I know any charm to work desire. But if the word pleases thee, surely I will follow. But thou must speak when we meet her. So she said, and starting forth, they came to the mighty palace of Cypris, which her husband, the halt-footed god, had built for her when first he brought her from Zeus to be his wife. And entering the court, they stood beneath the gallery of the chamber where the goddess prepared the couch of Hephaestus. 
but he had gone early to his forge and anvils to a broad cavern in a floating island where with the blast of flame he wrought all manner of curious work and she all alone was sitting within on an inlaid seat facing the door and her white shoulders on each side were covered with the mantle of her hair and she was parting it with a golden comb and about to braid up the long tresses but when she saw the goddesses before her she stayed and called them within and rose from her seat and placed them on couches then she herself sat down and with her hands gathered up the locks still uncombed and smiling she addressed them with crafty words good friends what intent what occasion brings you here after so long why have ye come not too frequent visitors before chief among goddesses that ye are and to her hera replied thou dost mock us but our hearts are stirred with calamity for already on the river phasis the son of aeson moors his ship he and his comrades in quest of the fleece for all their sakes we fear terribly for the task is nigh at hand but most for aeson's son him will i deliver though he sail even to hades to free ixion below from his brazen chains as far as strength lies in my limbs so that peleus may not mock at having escaped an evil doom peleus who left me unhonoured with sacrifice moreover jason was greatly loved by me before ever since at the mouth of anaurus in flood as i was making trial of men's righteousness he met me on his return from the chase and all the mountains and long-ridged peaks were sprinkled with snow and from them the torrents rolling down were rushing with a roar and he took pity on me in the likeness of an old crone and raising me on his shoulders himself bore me through the headlong tide so he is honoured by me unceasingly nor will peleus pay the penalty of his outrage unless thou wilt grant jason his return thus she spake and speechlessness seized cypris and beholding hera supplicating her she felt awe and then addressed her with friendly words dread goddess may no viler thing than cypris ever be found if i disregard thy eager desire in word or deed whatever my weak arms can effect and let there be no favour in return she spake and hera again addressed her with prudence it is not in need of might or of strength that we have come but just quietly bid thy boy charm aeetes's daughter with love for jason for if she will aid him with her kindly counsel 
easily do i think he will win the fleece of gold and return to iolcus for she is full of wiles thus she spake and cyprus addressed them both hera and athena he will obey you rather than me for unabashed though he is there will be some slight shame in his eyes before you but he has no respect for me but ever slights me in contentious mood and overborne by his naughtiness i purpose to break his ill-sounding arrows and his bow in his very sight for in his anger he has threatened that if i shall not keep my hands off him while he still masters his temper i shall have cause to blame myself thereafter so she spake and the goddesses smiled and looked at each other but cypris again spoke vexed at heart to others my sorrows are a jest nor ought i to tell them to all i know them too well myself but now since this pleases you both i will make the attempt and coax him and he will not say me nay thus she spake and hera took her slender hand and gently smiling replied perform this task Kithereia, straightway as thou sayest and be not angry or contend with thy boy he will cease hereafter to vex thee she spake and left her seat and athena accompanied her and they went forth both hastening back and cypris went on her way through the glens of olympus to find her boy and she found him apart in the blooming orchard of zeus not alone but with him ganymedes whom once zeus had set to dwell among the immortal gods being enamoured of his beauty and they were playing for golden dice as boys in one house are wont to do and already greedy eros was holding the palm of his left hand quite full of them under his breast standing upright and on the bloom of his cheeks a sweet blush was glowing but the other sat crouching hard by silent and downcast and he had two dice left which he threw one after the other and was angered by the loud laughter of eros and lo losing them straightway with the former he went off empty-handed helpless and noticed not the approach of cypris and she stood before her boy and laying her hand on his lips addressed him why dost thou smile in triumph unutterable rogue hast thou cheated him thus and unjustly overcome the innocent child come be ready to perform for me the task i will tell thee of and i will give thee zeus's all-beauteous plaything the one which his dear nurse adrastea made for him while he still lived a child with childish ways in the idaean cave a well-rounded ball no better toy wilt thou get from the hands of hephaestus 
all of gold are its zones and round each double seams run in a circle but the stitches are hidden and a dark blue spiral overlays them all but if thou shouldst cast it with thy hands lo like a star it sends a flaming track through the sky this i will give thee and do thou strike with thy shaft and charm the daughter of aeetes with love for jason and let there be no loitering for then my thanks would be the slighter thus she spake and welcome were her words to the listening boy and he threw down all his toys and eagerly seizing her robe on this side and on that clung to the goddess and he implored her to bestow the gift at once but she facing him with kindly words touched his cheeks kissed him and drew him to her and replied with a smile be witness now thy dear head and mine that surely i will give thee the gift and deceive thee not if thou wilt strike with thy shaft aeetes's daughter she spoke and he gathered up his dice and having well counted them all threw them into his mother's gleaming lap and straightway with golden baldric he slung round him his quiver from where it leant against a tree trunk and took up his curved bow and he fared forth through the fruitful orchard of the palace of zeus then he passed through the gates of olympus high in air hence is a downward path from heaven and the twin poles rear aloft steep mountain tops the highest crests of earth where the risen sun grows ruddy with his first beams and beneath him there appeared now the life-giving earth and cities of men and sacred streams of rivers and now in turn mountain peaks and the ocean all around as he swept through the vast expanse of air now the heroes apart in ambush in a backwater of the river were met in council sitting on the benches of their ship and aeson's son himself was speaking among them and they were listening silently in their places sitting row upon row my friends what pleases myself that will i say out it is for you to bring about its fulfilment for in common is our task and common to all alike is the right of speech and he who in silence withholds his thought and his counsel let him know that it is he alone that bereaves this band of its home return do ye others rest here in the ship quietly with your arms but i will go to the palace of aeetes taking with me the sons of phrixus and two comrades as well and when i meet him i will first make trial with words to see if he will be willing to give up the golden fleece for friendship's sake or not but trusting to his might 
will set at naught our quest for so learning his frowardness first from himself we will consider whether we shall meet him in battle or some other plan shall avail us if we refrain from the war cry and let us not merely by force before putting words to the test deprive him of his own possession but first it is better to go to him and win his favour by speech oftentimes i ween does speech accomplish at need what prowess could hardly carry through smoothing the path in manner befitting and he once welcomed noble phrixus a fugitive from his stepmother's wiles and the sacrifice prepared by his father for all men everywhere even the most shameless reverence the ordinance of zeus god of strangers and regard it thus he spake and the youths approved the words of aeson's son with one accord nor was there one to counsel otherwise and then he summoned to go with him the sons of phrixus and telamon and augeas and himself took hermes's wand and at once they passed forth from the ship beyond the reeds and the water to dry land towards the rising ground of the plain the plain i wis is called circes and here in line grow many willows and osiers on whose topmost branches hang corpses bound with cords for even now it is an abomination with the colchians to burn dead men with fire nor is it lawful to place them in the earth and raise a mound above but to wrap them in untanned ox-hides and suspend them from trees far from the city and so earth has an equal portion with air seeing that they bury the women for that is the custom of their land and as they went hera with friendly thought spread a thick mist through the city that they might fare to the palace of aeetes unseen by the countless hosts of the colchians but soon when from the plain they came to the city and aeetes's palace then again hera dispersed the mist and they stood at the entrance marvelling at the king's courts and the wide gates and columns which rose in ordered lines round the walls and high up on the palace a coping of stone rested on brazen triglyphs and silently they crossed the threshold and close by garden vines covered with green foliage were in full bloom lifted high in air and beneath them ran four fountains ever flowing which hephaestus had delved out one was gushing with milk one with wine while the third flowed with fragrant oil and the fourth ran with water 
which grew warm at the setting of the pleiads and in turn at their rising bubbled forth from the hollow rock cold as crystal such then were the wondrous works that the craftsman god hephaestus had fashioned in the palace of Cittaean aetis and he wrought for him bulls with feet of bronze and their mouths were of bronze and from them they breathed out a terrible flame of fire moreover he forged a plough of unbending adamant all in one piece in payment of thanks to helios who had taken the god up in his chariot when faint from the phlegraean fight and here an inner court was built and round it were many well-fitted doors and chambers here and there and all along on each side was a richly wrought gallery and on both sides loftier buildings stood obliquely in one which was the loftiest lordly aetis dwelt with his queen and in another dwelt apsyrtus son of aetis whom a caucasian nymph asterodea bare before he made adia his wedded wife the youngest daughter of tethys and oceanus and the sons of the colchians called him by the new name of phaeton because he outshone all the youths the other buildings the handmaidens had and the two daughters of aetis calciope and media media then they found going from chamber to chamber in search of her sister for hera detained her within that day but before time she was not wont to haunt the palace but all day long was busied in hecate's temple since she herself was the priestess of the goddess and when she saw them she cried aloud and quickly calciope caught the sound and her maids throwing down at their feet their yarn and their thread rushed forth all in a throng and she beholding her sons among them raised her hands aloft through joy and so they likewise greeted their mother and when they saw her embraced her in their gladness and she with many sobs spoke thus after all then ye were not destined to leave me in your heedlessness and to wander far but fate has turned you back poor wretch that i am what a yearning for hellas from some woeful madness seized you at the behest of your father phrixus bitter sorrows for my heart did he ordain when dying and why should ye go to the city of orchomenos whoever this orchomenos is for the sake of athamas's wealth leaving your mother alone to bear her grief such were her words and aeetes came forth last of all and adia herself came the queen of aeetes on hearing the voice of calciope and straightway all the court 
was filled with a throng some of the thralls were busied with a mighty bull others with the axe were cleaving dry billets and others heating with fire water for the baths nor was there one who relaxed his toil serving the king meantime eros passed unseen through the grey mist causing confusion as when against grazing heifers rises the gadfly which oxherds call the breeze and quickly beneath the lintel in the porch he strung his bow and took from the quiver an arrow unshot before messenger of pain and with swift feet unmarked he passed the threshold and keenly glanced around and gliding close by aeson's son he laid the arrow notch on the cord in the centre and drawing wide apart with both hands he shot at medea and speechless amazement seized her soul but the god himself flashed back again from the high-roofed hall laughing loud and the bolt burnt deep down in the maiden's heart like a flame and ever she kept darting bright glances straight up at aeson's son and within her breast her heart panted fast through anguish all remembrance left her and her soul melted with the sweet pain and as a poor woman heaps dry twigs round a blazing brand a daughter of toil whose task is the spinning of wool that she may kindle a blaze at night beneath her roof when she has waked very early and the flame waxing wondrous great from the small brand consumes all the twigs together so coiling round her heart burnt secretly love the destroyer and the hue of her soft cheeks went and came now pale now red in her soul's distraction end of section nine